So make no mistake, we live in a world that carries out, commits, and experiences violence. Violence of all sorts and kinds, and maybe you could think about a time in your life where somebody was violent towards you, or a time in history, and, and, and if anything, all of us at some point have experienced violence. You know, there was a part of me that was tempted to change this week's message, because I know that this can be a hot-button issue, especially for many of us who come with a Mennonite heritage to talk about these kinds of things. But I think it's such an important question to ask and to answer. And as I was doing my sermon studying this week and just praying over this message and asking the Lord what, what it would be that we really emphasize to talk about this message, I started to look through history, and I was even reminded about the class that maybe some of you attended on Mennonites, who are we, that we had over this past spring season. And I was reminded about one of the stories there that Dr. Olson shared about Dirk Willem. And if you didn't hear this story, and if you don't know it or just would love to learn a little bit more, Dirk Willem lived in the Netherlands, and he was an Anabaptist himself. If you don't know what that means was, was there was this movement that was carrying out in Europe where these body of believers committed themselves to baptism. Now, it was a normal practice within the church for people to get baptized, but that version of baptism was in infant baptism. And this time in, in the history of the Christian church, these group of people wanted to be baptized as believers, as a confessional commitment, an outward expression of an inward change. So they began baptizing people, and for this, they became under fire. Many people took issues with them rebaptizing people, and Dirk Willems was no different. Dirk, in fact, would hold Christian services, allowed them to be held in his home, and for this reason, his state decided to try to imprison him. So just that happened, and Dirk was imprisoned in the Netherlands. And realizing that most people who were in prison for issues of faith were either burned if you were a man or drowned if you were a woman, decided that he was going to try to escape his prison cell. So what he did was he took strips of cloth and began to tie those strips of cloth together into a rope. And he threw his rope over the prison and he began to escape. But a guard caught him in his escape. So he began to pursue Dirk as he ran and ran and ran. He saw a frozen pond in front of him. And at that body of water, he decided to make a decision. He could either stop or he could cross it to continue to fight for his freedom. So he does just that, but as he's going across the water, he notices how thin it is, and he continues to run and make the gamble of running across this frozen body of water. And as he makes it to the other side, he is relieved as he is so close to being able to experience his freedom. 
Now his pursuer would chase after him and go onto this body of water that was frozen with this thin, thin sheet of ice. And sure enough, that ice would crack and this pursuer, this prison guard, plunged into the icy depths. As the water probably surrounded him, he probably felt his lungs start to contract and eventually would scream out asking for help as he was probably patting the water trying to get to safety. Dirk, in a state of crossroads now, realized that he can either continue running and so experience his freedom, or he could turn around and save this person. And as he was wrestling to make the right decision in his life, he could not help but remember from Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount on Jesus' call to love your enemy. So deciding to live out this call from Christ to love one's enemy, enemy, he turns around, goes back on the thin ice, and extends his hand into the frigid depths and pulls this prison guard out. The prison guard is so stunned by this amazing act of kindness, realizing that Dirk in very many ways put his freedom on the line in this situation, that he's about to let this man go. And he's about to let Dirk have his freedom when he hears a local magistrate on the corner of the, the, the lake there calling out to him and telling him to arrest him, that it's his duty that this man be arrested. So this prison guard who's ready to let him go in this moment decides that he has to arrest him. So he arrests him and at his sentencing, when they're ready to execute his sentencing, he's, the, these words are, are read in, in the record of Dirk, that all of which is contrary to our holy Christian faith and to the decrees of his royal majesty and ought not be tolerated but severely punished for an example of others. This is what it was written of when speaking of Dirk and his actions, that his actions were contrary to the holy Christian faith. So because of that, they decided to execute him on May 16, 1569. Now, it was said that during his execution, which would be by fire, that the flames that day did not run well because there was a wind that was heavy as they were trying to execute Dirk. And because of that, his death was painful and agonizing as he cried out for God in the midst of this situation. The people that were overseeing this execution could not take the pains of his cries any longer and they asked for him to be quickly killed. The story is not a happy story. The story is not the kind of story that I would tell my children or I don't think you would tell your children during bedtime. Because even though there is laces of beauty in it, 
a man willing to risk his own well-being for the sake of somebody else, the tragedy still remains that we oftentimes live in a violent world. We live in a world where people oftentimes disagree with each other so much that they're willing to harm somebody else. So today I want to talk more about this question of violence. I want to ask ourselves, is God against violence? I think in order for us to answer this question, we need to understand what we are asking. And I think when we ask this question about violence, we should really define what violence is. So according to the Oxford Dictionary's definition of violence, violence simply means to do harm to somebody else, typically to do physical harm to somebody else. It's a bodily form of harm. So when we're asking is God okay with violence? In some ways, what we're really asking is, is it okay for God or for Christians to physically harm other people? Now, I need to be clear about something. I am a very violent person. The other day, I was in my basement, and I saw a centipede crawling around. (laughs) And I became very violent towards this centipede. And I smashed it as quickly as I could when I saw that creepy little thing crawling around in my basement. And in my conviction of violence, I decided to Google Colorado centipedes because this thing was gross. And I looked at it, and of course, the first thing I read is to talk about how wonderful centipedes are. (laughs) That they are the good predators, that they don't lay any nests or leave any eggs around, that they just really are, are God's pest control for the home, and that I should leave them alone. Well, that, that argument was lost when that centipede decided to have 30 legs. Um, I, that was a losing battle for it. So I exercised my violence <laughs> over this little centipede. So of course we understand in some senses, right, that when we're asking is God against violence, what we're really saying is, is, is it okay to harm other people? Is, is God okay with harming other people? And I think it's pretty natural if we ask that question to think about what? So many stories within scripture where violent things happen. I mean, make no mistake, if you read the Old Testament, you see many, many pictures of war and violence and judges and prophets and kings of God fighting in ways for this whole kingdom of Israel. Even in the New Testament, you could see pictures here of violent moments, even among the disciples or after the disciples when God strikes dead somebody for not giving a good offering. That happens even in the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira. So is God really against violence? I think to answer this question, what we need to do is instead of looking at all the instances when we see violent events in Scripture, what we need to do is we need to look at the person of Jesus. You know, as Anabaptists, we're oftentimes known for reading the Bible in reverse. Uh, 
That might be funny for some of you, but what it really means is we read the Bible in light of who Jesus is. So when I read scripture, for instance, and when I look at the Old Testament, I look at it in light of who Jesus is. Why? Because in scriptures we learn that Jesus came to fulfill the law. So I like to read the Bible in reverse, starting with the person of Jesus to then understand other things. So in order to do that today, I invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 5. As I had mentioned earlier in the message today, chapter 5 is the portion of text that begins the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is, the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave. It's a long disposition of many great ideas that many of us still hold on to and rightly should hold on to today as we think about what it means to be a good and godly person. So we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 42, and I'll be reading them aloud for you today within Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says these words, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants you or wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away from the one that wants to borrow from you. And we'll read just the next couple of verses there as well. So again, Matthew chapter 5. And he concludes this section by saying these words. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. I want to make it clear for you today, church, that my goal today is to share with each of you that I believe the heart of God challenges us in our thinking when it comes to violence and harming other people. And I think that there are going to be many people in this room that, if we're to think of life as a spectrum, that might land on different parts of this spectrum. And I just want to say that that's okay. And I'm not, my goal is not to make everybody look like a version of me or a version of somebody else, but rather for this to just challenge our thinking. 
So I just want to make that clear, that this is just supposed to challenge our thinking wherever we are in these beliefs, because I think God really cares about our heart. So in this text that we just read, we hear Jesus using this phrase, you have heard that it was said. Now he does this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, or at least many times throughout the Sermon on the Mount, where he uses this phrase, you have heard it said. He said it again in verse 43, you have heard it said, you have heard it said. And what is Jesus really trying to do there? What he's trying to do is he's trying to set up in your mind a contrast. He's trying to contrast what the world thinks, or at least what the people within his own culture thinks, and what God thinks about things. So the world's truth on what I, one hand where he says you have heard it said, and then on the other hand what he's, he's trying to challenge us to think is on God's truth. So the world's truths and God's truths. And this first truth, so to speak, that he brings up is this concept of an eye for an eye. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have heard of that phrase, an eye for an eye? Yeah, and if you haven't, you've at least maybe heard of it in that famed song from, you know, or that famed quote from Bob Marley, right? An eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind. You've at least heard it in some ways so that even 2,000 years later, we still know this phrase. And what this phrase actually comes from, the, the, the story behind it, is actually pretty interesting. The story behind this phrase of an eye for an eye actually comes out of the code of Hammurabi. Now, if you were in middle school or high school English, you might have seen the code of Hammurabi. And this is just a picture of some of the things that, or here, here's, here's some information. That's a picture of it. And here's some information about the code of Hammurabi. And what it is, is it's this ancient text from Babylon written in the Akkadian language. And it's one of the oldest documents that we have, the longest documents that we have of a legal code of conduct for people. And what's interesting is, is when we think about an eye for an eye, when we hear it in our day, we typically think that it's promoting revenge, right? That if you do this to me, I'm going to do that to you. But in fact, what this code was trying to do in its time was it was trying to allow there to be an equivalent consequence to crimes, to make sure that people were not overly punished for the crimes that they commit. Now, if we think about that, if I were to just say that to you, that sounds fair, right? That if you're willing to do this crime, we're going to punish you at the equal extent of the law. So that's what that was trying to do. And the Jewish people of that day would have been very familiar with this concept because this whole entire legal system in many ways affected that area. So historically, the people would have fully understood what Jesus meant when he specifically said, an eye for an eye. Now, by the time Jesus got around, most people were no longer physically punished from their crimes, although that did still happen. They were usually monetarily punished for their crimes. So that if you stole something, it's not that something would be stolen back from you, but rather you might have to pay damages for your theft. And if you think about it, much of our world is still operating with this kind of form of thinking, right? So, But when Jesus 
says to them, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. What does Jesus really say in response to that? How does he look at that verse of scripture? Does he say yes and amen to it? No, he actually says to do something that is rather controversial. He goes and he says what? He says that I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist an evil person. See, I think that this portion of text here, this sermon that Jesus gives, that he is trying to radically stir the pot. And more specifically, Jesus is trying to do what? He's trying to change our hearts. He's trying to change the way that we think and the way that we feel about justice, about vengeance, about revenge towards other people. You may be thinking to yourself, this sermon doesn't really have anything to do with me. Pastor Kevin, I don't have a problem keeping my cool and not displaying physical violence towards other people. But the truth is, is is that if you read the whole entire Sermon on the Mount, What Jesus is getting at is not just physical violence, but the conditions of our heart, the way that we think and feel about different situations. You know, I had a friend in seminary that would oftentimes share funny stories from his life while he was in Bible college, and he was telling me about a particular roommate situation that uh, he had. Any of you guys had some unruly roommates if you went to college or, or, or just, you know, during your young adult lives? So I had one that had such a trouble with just about everything in life and, and specifically with keeping our uh, house clean. So this particular roommate of my friends was, was kind of another one where they would get on each other's nerves. And of course, being good Bible college students, they wouldn't say mean things to each other. So instead, they fi- figured out a Christian way to kind of speak code at each other when they were very upset. So what they would say to each other is, is when they were really mad, they would look at the other person and they would say, I just murdered you in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, what they were doing there was they were pointing back to this same uh, portion of text within Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus says, You have heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which in that time means you idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And what is Jesus constantly doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount? He's constantly challenging what is on the inside, the things that cannot be evidenced in a court of law, that even though we might not physically do something, we're still thinking it. 
And maybe for some of us, we're still dreaming it. We're still dwelling on it. We're still allowing that desire to exist in our hearts. So when Jesus says, and here is where we're going to get to the meat of things. When Jesus says to people that you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist evil. If someone slaps you, turn the other cheek to him. What he's saying there is, we as people, we as Christians, need to be careful with the conditions of our heart. That we cannot think about life in, in terms of revenge and vengeance and making justice always be our own to have and to pursue. That we need to be the kinds of people that have a pure heart. It's why the prophet Ezekiel, reminding us of the words of God, would say in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart, speaking on God and the people of Israel, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And if you were here last week on Sunday, you would have learned that the word for heart there in Hebrew is the Hebrew word for lev, and it meant both a heart emotions and heart our minds. So what is God really saying here? That one day when Jesus comes and when Jesus begins to restore humanity, that he's going to give us a new heart and a new mind. Because you see, the way the world wants us to think is that if somebody dishes something out to us, that we immediately need to dish that back out to the world. Right? If you do harm against me, well, you mess with the wrong person. And we admire that so much within our culture. And we think to ourselves so often, how do I get mine? How do I pay back this person? And even if we never do anything, if we're honest with ourselves, We've all had a fantasy of that person that we don't like falling down an endless pit. <laughs> or we think about things in terrible ways. And God is trying to hear, address that heart issue, address that issue of us always wanting to be the one that fulfills and enacts out judgment onto this world. It's why in the scripture reading time, we looked at Romans 12, 21, when it said, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And in that same portion of text, God reminds us through the apostle Paul that vengeance is whose? The Lord's. But it's not ours to take out. It's why when Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, when he was arrested and he was brought in front of the Sanhedrin, brought in front of people that if anybody had something that they could say, it would be Christ. Why he was 
abused and hit and slapped at in the same way that Jesus is bringing up in that text. And what does Jesus do? He allows it to happen. Now, I want to be careful here because I think it could be easy if I stopped the sermon in this moment for us to leave this place and think that Pastor Kevin is calling us to be the kind of people that are are doormats, are people that are always stepped on, are people that are always abused and harmed, that if somebody came up here right now and tried to to rob me, I would just need to lie down and, and, and take it. Or in more practical examples, that if I was in a relationship and somebody was physically abusive, or I, if I'm in a situation where my employer or my business partner does things that are wrong against me, that I'm just supposed to passively sit by and just let those things happen. Or if that I am a victim to somebody else's violence, that I'm not supposed to do anything, I'm not supposed to let any law enforcement or authorities or, or, or anybody else out there know of the harm that is being done to me. I'm not saying that. And I want to be clear that I don't think that I'm violating God's word by saying that I love my wife, I love my children, and if somebody tried to harm them, I would do whatever I could within reason to protect those that are innocent and loved by me. And I am thankful for those in our communities and in our church here that serve in first responder situations that are very, very, very tough. And I mean, we just prayed for them in our congregational prayer time, understanding the demands that are upon them. So I'm not saying that I think God is calling us to be the kinds of people that are doormats, that stay committed to abusive situations. But what I am saying is, is that God is calling out our hearts. He is calling out our hearts. And he wants our hearts to be pure. And we need to be careful, church, of the kinds of thoughts in our hearts that lead to bitterness, anger, and violence. Because I believe that Jesus does not want those kinds of thoughts to dwell in his temple. Amen? He does not want hatred in our hearts. And if you are a person that have, that, that, that when I speak this sermon, you're immediately thinking of that person that, that you constantly deal with and constantly struggle with, then today's a day to ask the Lord, Lord, help heal that in me. Help me be not okay with that person's actions But also, Lord, help me to not perpetuate and continue sin by wishing ill of that person, by wanting to live out an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Help me, Lord, instead of continuing in sin by hurting people who hurt people, turn the other cheek. And say, this harm may have been done to me, 
this wrongdoing may have been, been done to me, but I'm not going to turn around and harm somebody else. Rather, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to turn the other cheek. Because I do not want violence, bitterness, anger, whatever it is, to dwell in my heart. Amen? This is why, further on in the text, Jesus makes it clear in verse 43 that you have heard that it was said, love your enemies and hate your, or love your neighbor and hate your enemies, right? That's the way we still live today. We love those in our tribe and we hate those that are outside of it. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus lived this out to the fullest. Jesus didn't just call us to these things. He demonstrated these things in our lives. Amen? Think about his ultimate point and moment of suffering. When Jesus was on the cross and those that were below him would mock him, when they would spit at him, when they would hurl insults on him, what would Jesus do to these enemies of him? He would pray for them and he would say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And even in that great moment of suffering, Jesus was still, till the very end, witnessing to those people around him, even to the person beside him on the cross, saying, you will be in paradise with me today. You see, that is the heart that God wants us to have. So this question of, is God for violence? Really, the answer to it is, If you're trying to ask whether you can be violent or not, you're asking the wrong question. You just need to ask yourself, Lord, how do I become the kind of person that could live out your love, that can turn the other cheek, that even in the moments where people are hurling insults against me, even in the moments where it is obvious that I have enemies, that, Father, that I can be in a place where I pray for them. What does that look like today for you? Does that look like praying for your boss? Does that look like praying for your coworker? Does that look like praying for that neighbor with those rowdy teenagers that drive their dirt bike way too often, way too close to your property? I'm not speaking from experience. (laughs) Does that look like praying for somebody else on the other side of the political aisle or for a president that you might not be too thrilled of or for who, whoever that might be. What does that look like for you today? And how do you sever for yourself the concept of always repaying evil for evil and start to love your enemy which is our big idea for today, that God wants us to love your enemy. Love your enemy. This doesn't mean being a doormat. This doesn't mean staying in abusive situations. This doesn't even mean, I would say, that you cannot protect those 
that God has trusted you with. But it does mean that you are not going to allow the kind of thoughts and ideas that lead to hatred and violence in your heart. Amen? Could we do that this week? My application for each of you this week is to think of a person in your life that you might struggle to love. Do you hate them? Do you smile if something bad happens to them in their life? Ask God then to help turn your heart, to help you love more, not less. But Pastor Kevin, you haven't talked about war in the Bible. You haven't talked about why Jesus said to give up your cloak and take a sword. You haven't talked about da 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 Come to what our class, What Would Jesus Do? <laughs> Which is going to be starting September 11th, and we're going to talk more about these kinds of things in a different setting. Today, the only thing that matters for this message, for this sermon, is to not allow your heart to turn to a wicked place, but rather to keep your heart pure before God. Let's take some time to pray for that because I know many of us in this room are probably thinking of a situation or a person now. I'd like for us to commit ourselves to a new chapter for this moment. Let's pray.